if we sent 50 people to see a therapist for 10 weeks and we sent 50 people to see a paraprofessional, that is someone who's got a bit of skill but isn't a qualified therapist, the people who went to see the paraprofessional would do just as well. Hello, you're listening to an adequate podcast by me, John Paul Flintoff. It's about creative self-expression through writing, drawing and speaking. And it's adequate because I can't do perfect. The voice you just heard belonged to Nikki Forsyth, a psychotherapist who concluded that she could have a much greater impact on people's well-being if she trained lay people in the basic skills of therapy. You'll hear more from Nikki later in this episode. The next thing you heard was a hallelujah, which I downloaded entirely legally from a wonderful website called Free Sound. I recommend it to you for all your audio requirements. But alas, you can't get absolutely everything you want there, which might lead you to do something that I did, for which I would like to apologise. I was looking for somebody else's voice, saying, what's happening now? And I found a couple of YouTube videos, which I mashed up to create this sound. What's actually going on right now in other parts of the universe? This is what's happening now. That's the last time I'll use that sound, which you may have heard in previous episodes. I would like to thank the scientist whose voice you heard at the beginning, whose name I didn't make a note of, and the American airline whose ad I incorporated, whose name I didn't make a note of. I had a lot of fun mashing them up, but I had no right to use them on my podcast without permission or without paying. So I want to apologise, and if anybody in the future, which, as you're listening now, means now, ever finds out that I've used this, I'd be happy to pay. I just want to be clear about that. Because as a creator myself, I depend on people respecting my intellectual property. I can't think how I failed to realise this at the time, but I guess it's because audio is a new area for me, and it doesn't feel entirely real yet. So... Please allow me to tell you how I finally saw the light, as it were. Yesterday, I went to Hampstead Heath to be photographed, that's Hampstead Heath in London, to be photographed standing on a box and holding a megaphone to illustrate the magazine story that I read to you in episode one. That's what's happening now. That was my voice, obviously. Anyway, I was photographed by a brilliant photographer called Paul Hansen, who last photographed me for a different magazine about a decade ago. Afterwards, I asked Paul if I might buy a print from him, and he said very generously that he would give me a print. What a kind gesture. And out of nowhere, the idea dropped into my head. It's no good placing high value on a photographer's intellectual property if I don't also place high value on people's YouTube videos and advertisements. It's all intellectual property. But there's another reason for going on about all of this, and it connects to Nikki Forsyth. There's something deeply cathartic about putting my hands up and saying I did wrong and apologising. Nobody wants to do it, but in my experience, it always feels better afterwards. Nikki talks about catharsis in this interview, which I recorded as part of the research for yet another magazine article. I hope you enjoy it. You know that I'm researching an article on how public speaking helped in my recovery. And I immediately thought I must talk to Nikki. What, what would you think is the reason why I would have that thought? 
why you would think you must talk to me yeah. if you're thinking about how public speaking aids recovery. Well, in Talk for Health, people learn three sets of skills. So one is how to talk more openly about your feelings in front of a group, which of course is public speaking. And the second set of skills is how to respond to someone who's shared openly. And the final set of skills is how to set up or participate in an ongoing group where everybody gets space to talk uh, and everyone gets feedback from their peers. Thank you. And I now know because I've been, you know, I went into psychiatric hospital, I had group therapy, which is a little bit like what you do, but it's not quite the same. And then I've gone on to do various other ways of talking to more than one person at once. But I suspect that some people might be surprised that the second of those things is even a thing. Yeah, how do you listen? So how do you listen and respond was the second set of skills. Yes. Yeah, I mean, so often when we think we're listening to other people, we're actually listening to what's going on in our own heads. So we're listening to our opinions about the other person or we're listening to thoughts about what we're going to have for dinner. We're not really listening to what the other person says. Right. And I bet that anyone who listens to this will know that experience of being, you know, switching off and drifting off. Yeah. Um, but the reason why I emphasise this point is that I think the fact that you train people to listen healthily and um, in a way that, that makes it safe, mm -hmm. that's what made the speaking remedial and, and healthful. Yeah, I think there's several reasons why speaking would be remedial and helpful. So the first is that it's cathartic. So catharsis is an important element of therapy, which just means release of feelings, having somewhere for them to go. And then the second reason is to do with overcoming fears. Public speaking is, I think, the most common phobia. And the more you face up to fears, the more possible it becomes to live an active and satisfying life. And then the third reason why being listened to would be good for you is that it creates a situation called attunement. So if I talk and you're listening to me really deeply, we have an experience called attunement, which is thought to be one of the main curative factors in therapy, which Great. is really a sense of deep connection. Yes. I just had this sudden wave of, God, it's really nice listening to Nikki talking about this stuff again. And I I find it really interesting, as I think, I hope you know, because I, I just think it's an interesting thing that you do. But I'm also curious to hear you explain what I may have heard before, but I'd like to hear again, which is, why did you not just carry on being a therapist? You can do all of this stuff and help people. Why bother setting up Talk for Health? Mm. Um, gosh, there are all sorts of reasons, but I guess it was out of frustration at therapy as usual. I'd done a very long and very expensive therapy very early on in my late 20s, and it hadn't worked at all. I probably could have bought a small house with what I spent on that therapy. <laughs> So I did a lot of research into therapeutic talk and what makes it effective. And one of the most surprising findings for me was the research that shows, let's say, if we sent 50 people to see 
a therapist for 10 weeks and we sent 50 people to see a paraprofessional, that is someone who's got a bit of skill but isn't a qualified therapist. The people who went to see the paraprofessional would do just as well. So there seems to be something very basic and fundamental about speaking and being heard, which doesn't need to be extremely skillful and expensive, uh, but which is effective. So it just struck me, I know I've benefited from that myself. I've benefited from really good support with peers in a group personally. And I know that lots of people can't access expensive therapy and go through failed therapies and then good ones like I did. So it just seemed obvious to me that there should be more paraprofessional therapy, let's call it. Right. It is so effective and empowering. But one thing that's um, that that might have been possible is that you might train people to be these sort of paraprofessional, paratherapists, and they would work one-to-one as therapists, but you chose to do it as a group, which means that the speaker is doing public speaking. Yes, yeah, well, there's two things. So I chose to do it as a group because I personally had experienced it as very effective in a group. And the good thing about that is, about a group is that you get different perspectives, not just one. So if one person might say something that you sort of think, no, it doesn't quite resonate or I don't feel heard, Whereas at least one person in that group will probably say something that really chimes and that leaves you feeling hurt. And I can't remember where I started off, John Paul. What well, was I was saying, why, why do it as a group? And you said that because you'd had positive group experience. Mm, I, yeah. I would imagine it's also because it's scalable, is it? Um, it's scalable. I personally had had good experiences in a group and ah yeah you said you i you could have just set up a situation where there were lots of paraprofessional therapists the thing about talk for health which is important is there's a mutuality to it everyone in the group both gives and receives so there is that sense of attunement and connection between many people in a group so the effect is amplified if you like it's not just between two people i suppose there's also an element of of safety because you're, the whole group kind of keeps an eye on the whole group. That's right. Because in any group, you can get one person that might give feedback that's a bit off kilter or they're having an off mood. So they might give grumpy feedback and that kind of thing. Whereas, yes, that's counterbalanced then by other group members because on the whole, you know, people, once they've got that bit of skill that we teach them, all give good feedback to each other and listen to each other really well. Yeah. So so it's obviously very important if anyone comes to this thinking it's all about how public speaking can make you feel better and then rushes off to go and do public speaking in an unsafe place, that that wouldn't be wise. It's about having a group that's prepared to listen in the right way. Yeah, I mean, learning to do public speaking could be therapeutic in its own right for people who are very socially anxious doing a standard public speaking course might well be therapeutic and then talk for health adds another layer of being therapeutic in as much as that you're really being heard really getting good feedback in the same way that you would in therapy yeah brilliant is there anything that you would like to ask me about this idea about public speaking being 
part of recovery or anything else. Well, what do you think? What, what's been your impression about how public speaking has been part of your recovery? Well, I, I just want to be really honest and say that I think public speaking going wrong did speed up my breakdown. Um, so I think it might have been it might have been cause and effect. Who knows which you know, chicken and egg, but I had people walk out on me. I had um, nobody turn up. No one but one person bought tickets. I think it was actually very badly promoted, but that one person had to be cancelled and I had to do it for some reason. All sorts of things made me feel like nobody wants to hear from me. I'm useless. Um, and I and I've you know I've talked to people about how those things went wrong and what might have happened and it might not have been me and so on and so on and I was in a bad way and maybe I did do a, a less than optimal job, yeah. but I just want to say that to be really clear and honest that I think it can be really painful. Mm. And I tried to shrug it off at the time, but then I realised it was just too much. So then I went into this massive retreat, came off social media for ages. I sort of disappeared and. and mm and did that thing that people who are depressed do, which is isolate and, and not be connected. And then, of course, our mutual friend Philippa suggested I come to you after I'd been in psychiatric hospital and I'd had group therapy and I could see how healing that was. Yeah. And I found it really wonderful. I mean, it, it is a kind of magic that you do. And it's also deeply not magic. It's really, mm. really common sense. Mm. There's nothing esoteric about it. Mm. you teach people and you're very strict that they do these things until they've learned it and internalized it and and that made a wonderfully bonded group of people with very different backgrounds mm. yeah thank you i mean it sounds like i guess what you're describing is i know that one of the causes of depression has been found to be what's called targeted rejection so feeling rejected by a personal group of people and feeling that it's you specifically that was rejected. And of course, in this situation, you would feel like that because if you'd booked yourself as the speaker and you were supposed to be speaking and then people didn't show, you would have that sense of rejection. You know, that can be a really um, critical cause of depression. And, you know, often it happens in the context of like relationships or close mm. relationships or friendships that rejection could uh, lead to an episode of depression. But equally, I can see that if you're a public speaker and um, a series of things goes wrong or you're an artist or a performer, maybe, and things don't work out for a while as they're supposed to, that that could easily cause depression. Can you just bring me up to date about how is Talk for Health in lockdown? How has that changed things? Mm. Well, we were able to transition almost immediately everything online. So every single, as you know, we run a program a month, pretty much, and a taster a month and a community event a month. And now we have 29 groups running every single month. And we pretty much were able to transition everything online within a week of the first lockdown in April. And our strength as an organization is just that we're so small so we could be agile. And then our weakness was that we found we'd invested a lot. So we had to crowdfund and do various other things to recoup our losses. Um, but it's gone on pretty much as before. And a lot of people have been incredibly grateful that you know, Talk for Health has been there where other services might not have been. Mm. Thank you so much, Nikki.
In the next episode, there will be an interview with one of the other participants I met at Talk for Health. And I will tell you what she said to me during a coffee break and the dramatic effect it had on me. Plus, I've been listening to a podcast called Good and Basic. And in, in that podcast, they debate two books that I love. I found it absolutely fascinating to listen for more than an hour to two people I don't know talking about those two books. And I wondered whether I might do something similar on this podcast. Uh, they debated two books. I wondered whether we could have some kind of debate on an adequate podcast about two different speakers. It, some people call this a smackdown. I'm not sure if I like that word. I think I don't like that word. But what would it be like to do a smackdown between Hugh Grant and Benedict Cumberpatch for the worst ever wedding speech in a film? or between Laurence Olivier and Kenneth Branagh for the best ever Henry V, or between President Obama and President Reagan, who were both esteemed for their public speaking. If you can suggest any other pairs of speakers, please do. Thank you for listening to An Adequate Podcast with me, John Paul Flintoff. If you want to hear more episodes on this theme of self-expression, please subscribe. I'm very keen to make this podcast interactive Send me a comment or a question and I'll try to build it into an upcoming episode. Bye for now.